You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Thank you so much. I'm Alyssa and Norma. You can tell that Alyssa is on the missions committee and has a global perspective um, because when she introduces the speaker coming from California as coming from out of town, um, you know that she's got a good global, good global perspective on, on that sort of stuff. Um, my name is Pastor Mark and it's great to be with you. I see you guys, I know most of you. And it's just always a pleasure to open God's Word together. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2, 1 through 13 today, so I would encourage you to open there. We're going to basically plant there and stay there the whole time. We're going to come back to a number of verses after we read the passage at the start. So why don't I pray, and we'll jump into things. God, I thank you for today. Lord, you know for me, it's been a hard week. And I know I'm not the only one in this room. I know there are others. God, where um, this week, this month, this year has been hard. Um, so Lord, um, for me, I pray that you would give me your strength. God, I pray that you would give me your words. God, I desperately need those. Everyone here desperately needs those. They don't need my words. That's a waste of time. And Lord, for everyone else who's coming here, God, from their busy weeks and whatever's going on, I just pray that you would help to calm their hearts, Lord, and focus their minds, Lord, that they wouldn't see me, um, but that they would hear from you, God. Um, They would hear from your word, Lord, about who you are and your greatness and your majesty, that they would love to know more about the God who is their Savior and their King. So we pray for that this morning in your name. Amen. I titled this message, The Heart of God. Um, and when I say the heart of God, what do you picture in your mind? You don't have to shout it out, just think. What do you picture? Do you picture anything? Maybe it's something that you really haven't thought about before. Maybe you, the first thing that pops into your head is an attribute of God that we talk about a lot, a lot an attribute like love. Do you know God's heart? Are you learning more about his heart, about who he is. That's kind of my goal today. I want to give you a little glimpse into the heart of God. We're not going to get the heart of God, the full picture. we got 13 verses in half an hour. We're not going to have that. But um, today we, we want to dive into giving you a glimpse of the heart of God. And some of the stuff is stuff that you might, um, you might have already known. And other stuff is stuff that maybe it will give you a new perspective new little glimpse into God's heart today. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. It says, Go, announce directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it found themselves guilty. Disaster came on them. This is the Lord's declaration. Hear the word of the Lord, house of Jacob and all families of the house of Israel. 
This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they went so far from me, followed worthless idols, and became worthless themselves? They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled and where no one lived? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The priest quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets of Baal followed useless idols. Therefore, I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and take a look. Send someone to Kedar and carefully consider. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this heavens and be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So what do we learn about the heart of God as we read this passage? If you were with us at the outdoor service, I use the analogy of a buffet. So when we, when we come to the word of God, uh, we need to um, make sure that we, we don't get trapped by the filler, right? The stuff that they put out at the start, the breads and that sort of stuff. But we want to, you want to skip over that stuff. Don't make the rookie mistake and get to the good stuff, get to the expensive stuff, the stuff you can't make at home, right? And that's learning about God. That's learning about who he is. You're coming to scripture to know more about Christ, and then from there, you can go on to dessert and learn more about your life and other things and things that fit together. But the meat, the good stuff, the stuff that you want to you wanna know is about God. So let's learn about some of these things. What can we learn about God? Here's one thing. God's heart breaks over our sin. God is not a heartless machine. He's not just up there waiting for you to fail, waiting to judge you, holding it over you. Sometimes we have this wrong picture of God. We feel like God's just waiting for us to screw up. But that's not true. Look at how he speaks to Israel. People who screwed up over and over and over again. Look at verse 2. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Then skipping to verse 5. What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me and followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves? God's heart is broken over sin. It's almost like God's sitting there saying, like, what did I do? We know he did nothing. But his heart is broken over sin. Have you ever um, contemplated why God's heart breaks over sin? It's not just because he knows it won't satisfy us. I think that's a part of it because he loves us and he, he wants what's best for us. And he knows it's like watching your child go and do something that you know isn't good for them. So that breaks his heart. But I think his heart breaks over our sin because every time you choose sin, you choose it over him. 
Every time you choose sin, you choose it over God. When you choose sin over God, you are saying that sin is better than God. You're saying this thing that I have found that I want to do is better than you. And that breaks the heart of God. Here's another one for us. God's heart is full of patience. God is a patient, patient God. He's, you can see in this passage here, he's continually calling Israel back to him in such a kind way. He's, he's, if you've read the Bible, you know he's done this a lot, right? And yet, instead of just reaming them out, and he does say harsh things to them, but you see how he speaks to them at the start. He says, come back. I remember what it was like when you followed me in the wilderness. When you loved me and I loved you. Are you not grateful for the patience of God? I know I am. I consider myself to be a pretty patient person. Um, but there's two things that really test my patience like nothing else. Um, one is just blatant disregard for God-given authority. Right, where someone just... They have, I just, it basically says, I have no respect for you. I'm going to do what I want. And the second thing that I see a lot, I can feel it in myself and my parenting, is trying to teach children something and not seeing a change. Right? It's like month after month, and you're like, you feel like you're disciplining for the same thing over and over and over again. It's hard. And yet when I look at those two things that drive me so crazy, it was that was Israel. Right? But it was also me. It's also me. And I suspect if you're honest with yourself, it can be you, you as well. Right? Where we can sometimes just blatantly disregard God and say, no, I'm going to hold on to this. I don't care what you say. I know better. Or sometimes God wants to teach us something and we're like the child that doesn't seem to get it. You got to get disciplined for the same thing over and over and over again. If you remember from the outdoor service, um, or if you've read the book of Jeremiah, you'll know that God um, shows incredible patience because he actually does this over five kings. He, he gives this message to Jeremiah of his desire to bring his people back to him where there's going to be destruction on them over a period of five different kings. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like, okay, I'll give you like a month, six months if I'm feeling really generous, or a year, like that seems really kind, right? Like if you don't change in a year, what's going what's gonna to happen? Right? Like, is it really going to happen? And yet, here's God waiting patiently, bringing this message over and over and over again to his people. God's heart is also just. Right? We can see that in this passage. If you look at verse 9, it's not all just, I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride. He says in verse 9, therefore I will bring a case against you. This is the Lord's declaration he, and he's going to go on to say there there is going to be judgment coming if things don't change and a topic that's on everyone's uh, everyone's mind right now is justice right justice is a term that describes what is right or describes like as it should be right and have you ever thought about why as humans we have an innate sort of desire for justice people have different views on it but we have an innate desire for justice because we were made in the image of God. If you remember back to our theology series, and that's called Imago Dei, 
the fact that as all humans, we were made in the image of God. And there's things that come out in humanity, whether Christian or unchristian, because we were all made in the image of God. And in general, one of these things is a desire for justice. And the desire for justice is right in its good. But sometimes we can be hypocritical when it comes to justice. We can want God to deal with the sin of the world and other people's sin. But when it's God coming to deal with our own sin, we start to have problems, right? Oh, please deal with my spouse. Oh, please deal with my kids. Oh, please deal with my in-laws, the person at work, whatever. The world that you look on the news and you're like, ah. But what about you? When God wants to come deal with you. This happened to God's people, right? We can see this from this passage. Throughout their history, they were very concerned with the sin of other nations. Think about Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and that he wants to tell him to repent. He's hoping that they'll be saved or otherwise they'll be destroyed. How does Jonah react? He doesn't even want to give them the chance, right? Because they hate the sin of the Ninevites so much they were such wicked people. And then he finally gets there and he like gives them a quick message and then goes, oh, I guess you're not listening. God, I can't wait to watch them destro- be destroyed. He didn't, they, they, they didn't like Nineveh so much. They were so concerned about their sin that they just want him wiped off the face of the earth. But they never actually let God properly deal with their own sin. Right? If you've read Israel's history, you know their pattern, you know their course that they, they, they fall away from God and then there is a good king who follows God and they come up and they, they start to reform some things and God starts to move, but they never actually go far enough. It's amazing how often um, it talks about in the Bible how they, they don't actually destroy everything. Maybe they clear out the temple of the gods, but there's other foreign gods that they leave in the high places or other places. And so they don't completely destroy the sin. They don't completely cut it out from their nation. So they do some of it, but not all of it. And so generation by generation, they get farther and farther away from God. Because even after these reforms, then all these bad kings rise up. Because there was this cluster, there's like this cancer that was left. They didn't deal with it all. Until God finally says, enough is enough. And we know the ending, right? That ultimately they don't listen. That they are either killed or taken away to Babylon. God is patient, absolutely, but he's also just. He deals with sin. God's heart is full of love, right? You, you, you see that come through so clearly. It's one of the reasons I just love this passage is you just hear from God differently than how you feel like God normally speaks. He's like, we had this beautiful relationship, right? You loved me and I loved you. And when people came against you, I protected you. He loved when the Israelites loved him. And he loves when you love him. It's not like some cold love for like some distant relative that you've never met. You're like, well, I, I love them because they're family, but I don't, you don't really know them, right? It's a love that's greater than the greatest love you've ever known as a human. That's God's love for you. God's first desire wasn't that they would be destroyed and, or enslaved, right? That wasn't his desire. His first desire was to have a relationship like the covenants he laid out with the people in the wilderness. The covenants were like marriage vows, and yet Israel broke them. But we also see in this passage that God is loving because he was willing to tell them the truth. 
He calls out their sin and then calls him back to himself. Right? And so it's not loving to not be truthful. And that's something that our society is really messed up and we can get caught in that. We think we can just, we're just loving the person by not dealing with forgiveness like Alyssa talked about. Right? Oh, I just, I love them too much. I don't want to make it awkward. I don't want to make it weird. Or I don't want to, I don't want to call this person out on that because that's really weird and it gets really awkward. But it's not actually love. Right? Love takes care of each other. And as Christians, we need to love each other enough to call each other out in love, kindly, please. Yeah, me too. I know what it's like. If someone comes at you bad, you get your defenses up, right? But if when people come in love, then you should be willing to listen. Because love doesn't just ignore our faults. Here's the last one I want to give. It's not actually of the heart of God, but I couldn't leave it out because it's so good. Um, it's actually who God is. And God is self-described as this in this passage. He self-describes himself as the fountain of living water. We've been talking about that um, over the past year or so, that God is life. And sometimes it's a hard term to wrap your head around. I wish we had time to dive into it. Maybe we'll take a sermon time to just do that. But I want you to think about it like this. God is the source of life. He's the meaning of life. He's your reason to live. He is who we were created to be connected to. He is life. And there's a ton of imagery that we know from the New Testament that actually stems from the book of Jeremiah, where a couple times God uses this phrase. Um, In the New Testament, we know that we've been talking about this in our theology series, that the Bible describes us as dead apart from Christ. Right, that we were described as dead. Do you know why we're described as dead? Because we're not connected to God. We're not connected to the living water. Jesus multiple times calls himself the living water. Right? You remember like the woman at the well where he says, Come, drink. Do you know what he was doing? He was telling people he is God. He was telling people he was God. He was telling them if they actually believe in him, they can actually live. Not just to exist, but actually live. So often we miss this in the New Testament if we don't know the Old Testament. There's so many people that say, well, Jesus actually never said he was God. I will show you so many examples like this where if you don't know the Old Testament, you're not going to see it in the New Testament. But when you know the Old Testament, it's one of the beauties of the Old Testament, it's Jesus crying out to those people saying, look, I'm God. I'm the fountain of living water. You come, take a drink from me, and you're going to have life forever. And then in Revelation 21, God tells us that he will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of life without cost. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to give of myself He's saying, I am the source of eternal life. Being with Christ in eternity is life. That's why hell is going to be so horrible, because you aren't with God. And so we have this string from Jeremiah, right, to the Gospels, to Paul when he uses it, to Revelation, this whole big string 
this idea of God as the fountain of living water and the fact that he is actually life, that knowing him, being connected to him, following him, giving your life to him is actually life. It's what you were created for. It's a beautiful thing. And so I hope you're feeling full, right? Learning about God, reminding yourself about God. Some things are going to be reminders, right? Some things are going to be new things. Quick side note that's not in my notes. Um, you guys know I'm a sports nerd. And so I was listening to a podcast um, that was um, talking about how to take notes. And they were talking about, I know, it sounds really exciting. Um, it, it was actually a, a football thing. And they were, they were talking about how quarterback coaches teach quarterbacks who have to be incredibly intelligent how to take notes. And they said what they do is they, they put them into two columns. One of the columns is stuff that you know off the back of your hand and you need to be reminded of and you can recall like this. That's one column. The other column is everything else that you need to know and learn and be able to transfer to that other column so that when these quarterbacks are taking notes and they're learning from people, they say, this is what you, remind yourself of this, know this better. And I thought it was actually quite applicable for us as Christians as we study God's word. Right? Because we want, we're, in, in any sermon, in any um, Bible reading, anything, there's going to be things that you know, and there's going to be things that you need to know better. So I'd encourage you, don't just throw out the things that you already know, because you need to be reminded of them. And there's some things that you might know, but can you do it like this? Can you do it off the top of your head like that? Right? There, I don't know, it's like when we talk about the gospel. Yeah, I, I can explain the gospel. Someone says, hey, what's the gospel? Boom. What do you got? Right? Do you know it off the back of your hand? Which category is it in for you? You're like, oh, we're talking about the gospel again. Which category is it in for you? Can you do it off the back of your hand? So anyways, I hope you're feeling full, learning about God, reminding yourself about God. But hopefully you got some room for dessert. Uh, let's take some time and look at some stuff as it relates to our life. Here's the first thing. Following worthless idols makes us worthless. You saw that there right in the text, right? Following worthless idols makes us worthless. Do you know why it makes you worthless? Think about it for a second. Why does that make you worthless? It makes us worthless because the only currency that matters in the kingdom of God is the word of the king. If the king says you're valuable, then you're valuable, right? As, as rebels, as people that are inherently, that we're against God and then saved by God, we don't have this innate value in ourselves. All of our value comes from God. Our value comes from the fact that we were created in the image of God and then that we were saved by God. That's where our value comes from. I want to read you a story um, from a book. I don't know if I put this in the devotions a long time ago. Um, but it's very good, and it, it, it just it ties into this idea of value and where you get your value from. It says this. The man entered the wise man's room very distressed. I'm here, teacher, he said, because I feel so numb that I don't have the desire to do anything. I'm told that I'm no longer useful, that I do everything wrong, that I'm clumsy and very dumb. How can I improve? What can I do so they see my value, and value me more. 
Without looking at him, the teacher said, I'm so sorry, son, I can't help you. Since I have a problem of my own to solve first, perhaps later. He paused for a moment and then added, if you want to help me, I could take care of this matter of mine, and then after that, I could perhaps help you. Uh, Of course, teacher, the young man stuttered, feeling once again he wasn't worth anything and that his needs were always being put off. Well, the teacher continued, he took off a ring he had on the little finger on his left hand and gave it to the young man. He said, take this, take the horse that's outside there and ride to the market. I need to sell this ring because I have to pay a debt. You need to get the best price possible and don't accept anything less than a gold coin. Now go and return with the gold coin as fast as you can. The young man took the ring and left. As soon as he arrived at the market, he began to offer the ring to the merchants who looked at it with interest until the young man um, said what he was looking for it. When he mentioned the price of a gold coin, some laughed, others turned away, and only one old man was kind enough to take the time to explain to the young man that a gold coin was much too valuable to pay him in exchange for the ring. In an attempt to help, someone offered him a silver coin and a copper vessel, but the young man had instructions not to accept anything except a gold coin and to refuse any other offer. After offering the ring to everyone, he came across in the market over a hundred people and feeling dejected by his failure, he mounted his horse and returned. How he wished he had a gold coin to give his teacher and free him from his debt so that he could finally receive his teacher's wisdom and help. He entered the room and said, teacher, I'm sorry. I couldn't get the price you asked me. I might have been able to get two or three silver coins, but I don't think I could have deceived anyone about the true value of the ring. What you've just said is very important, my young friend, the teacher said, smiling. First, we must know the true value of the ring. Go get back on your horse and go see the jeweler. Who would know better than him? Tell him that you want to sell the ring and ask him how much he'll give it for you. He'll give you for it. But no matter what he offers you, don't sell it to him. Return here with my ring. The young man got back on his horse and rode off again. The jeweler examined the ring in the light of his oil lamp. He looked at it with his magnifying glass, weighed it, and then told him, Tell your teacher, young man, that if he wants to sell it right now, I can't give him any more than 58 gold coins for his ring. 58 gold coins, the young man exclaimed. Yes, replied the jeweler. I know that with some time we could get about 70 coins, but if the sale is urgent, the young man galloped back excitedly to his teacher's house to tell him what had just happened. Sit down, his teacher said to him after listening to him. You are like that ring, a unique and precious jewel, and as such, only an expert can determine your value. Why are you going through life hoping that someone will discover your true value? If you didn't catch it, the expert's God, right? And I think it's a reminder for all of us of where we need to get our worth from. And when I say idols, a lot of us think of big things. You can think of the big stereotypical things, money, sports, etc. But I think there's some smaller things that you can be reminded of that can sometimes be just as powerful in our own lives. So I'd encourage you to think about that. Take your brain down that trail. I, I can't give you every example and hope to hit every single person, what every single person's going through. But I'll give you a couple examples. Um, first one's Instagram. I'm not here to hate on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that God's doing on Instagram. And um, I'd love to take a sermon sometime and talk about that. But there's also, there's also a trap. 
And one of the big traps on Instagram is the guilt that you can feel as you compare yourself to other people and their lives and you lose focus on God. And you can start to idolize other people instead of getting your worth from God and believing what God says is what matters. Right? It's very easy on Instagram um, to say, yeah, you, you look around and you're like, man, I am not that good of a mom. Right? Or I am not that good of a dancer. Or my house is never that nice or never that clean. Or I'm never that funny. I can't make the reels nearly as funny as this person over here. Right? There, there's so much guilt that can be associated with that. I'm not on Instagram, but Maddie is, and so I'll, I talk to her sometimes. She, she does it for work. It's very helpful for her wedding business. Um, sometimes I'll ask her, I was like, do you, feel, do you feel better about yourself after being on Instagram for half an hour? She's like, no. No, I don't. There's a lot of guilt that can come if you don't watch. And watch. You, you can idolize what other people think about you instead of worrying about what God thinks. What about kids? Kids are, a, kids are an idol um, that can very easily become an idol, right? On both ends of the spectrum, there can be kids that excel and are exceptional. And we can idolize that, right? There are kids that can go the other way, right? And fall off the path and not live how we de- desire them to live. And we can come, become so consumed ourselves with our own guilt and different things. And again, start just following this idol of trying to make our kids into this perfect idea of whatever we think instead of worrying about what God thinks. What about identity? They say that um, retiring, especially for men, is one of the hardest things that somebody will do because so often our identity gets wrapped up in our job. And when someone retires... They can lose a large chunk of their identity and feel almost worthless, feel like lost, like they don't know where to go, right? Because what do you do at awkward Christmas events with a large family? You talk about work, right? What do people ask when they meet you? Hey, where do you work, right? Work is a big topic of conversation where a lot of people draw a lot of their identity from. And work is good. Work is from God. There's lots of verses that talk about hard work and how that's important. Just like all these things, kids are good. Interacting with others is good, right? It's when it becomes an idol and we get pulled away from God that it's bad. Following anything other than Christ will make you feel worthless. Will make you worthless like it did for the Israelites. Here's the next one. The downfall of Israel will, can be ours as well. What was the downfall of Israel? We find it in this passage. Look at verse 6 and then verse 8. Look at verse 6. Where is the Lord? They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt? And then verse 8. The priests quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. And the prophets prophesied and followed useless idols. They stopped seeking the Lord. That was their downfall. You can't just look at your circumstances and say, I'm being blessed right now. I feel like I'm in a good spot, so I must be right with God. Because that was not the case for the Israelites. 
the Israelites were in the land. They were enjoying the bounty of some of their ancestors following God. They were enjoying the patience and the love of God, God holding up his covenant to his people. And yet they were far from him. And eventually it led to their downfall. So here's my question to you. Are you continually seeking the Lord? Or are you satisfied with the decision that you made in your childhood? Or a decision that you made five years ago, ten years ago, one year ago? Maybe you used to seek the Lord. Maybe you remember from the start of this verse, you're like, yeah, I used to be loyal in my youth. I remember that love relationship that we had at one point, and now it feels like nothing. I'm not seeking God, if you're honest with yourself. Let's learn from Israel. Collectively, Israel lost the opportunity as a nation to live set apart among the nations, right? That was part of God's goal. That was the reason they got all those different um, rules and things to follow, that they would be set apart, that they would be different from every other nation, and people would know that it was God. And individually, there's a lot of Israelites who thought they were saved simply because they were Israelites. And those Israelites ended up in hell. I beg you, don't let that be you. Don't believe you're saved just because you come to church. Don't let yourself be tricked into thinking you're saved because you maybe prayed one prayer, but then there hasn't been anything since. Dry spells are different. We all go through ups and downs in our faith. But if that season that you're feeling you're in in your faith stretches out too long, it's now it's no longer a season, it's your life. Seek God. Whether you feel like it or not, seek God continually. Two more. Where do you draw your life from? Remember, God talks about himself as the the, um, living water. He says that Israel abandoned the endless supply of living water for broken cisterns. A cistern, they would dig a hole in the ground, and they would cover it with like mud, trying to make like a plaster sort of thing. And then they'd dump water in it and to hold it for later. But what would happen sometimes with the mud is it would crack. And so the cistern would then be broken. And the water would just seep through the cracks and it wouldn't hold any water. Cisterns were there for security. right? They were there for the future. Are there any broken cisterns that you've abandoned God for? What security are you looking for that's not God? Do you look for security in your money? Do you look for security in your status, right? That I feel like I'm somebody when I'm in this place. It's hard. It's hard. When I think about um, people who are rich, if you don't believe me, Google it. Um, again, because I follow sports, I get a lot of this stuff. Where, where these guys will make so much money, and they'll they'll end up just unhappy. There's some crazy studies that came out. I think there's one study that came out that said 80% of NBA players were broke after five years or something over a certain time span, and ended up just being miserable 
because they found out that their money didn't make them happy. And I think we've all, we all know this inherently. We've all experienced this, right? Because there's all been things that we have wanted, things that we've desired, and then we've got them. And yeah, they were cool, but they didn't satisfy you, right? Was it a new, new phone, new TV, new car, new house, new job? I don't know what it was for you. But there's always these things where it's like, yeah, man, I really want that. And you get it, and you're like, yeah, this is cool for a little bit, but it doesn't actually satisfy you. And then you want another one, right? It doesn't actually satisfy us. Or when you're thinking about status, I think I've used this example before, but I love what Lecrae says. Um, and he's a Christian rapper, and one of his um, songs, he talks about how when you're trying to climb for status, essentially, you can get to the top of a two-foot ladder. And I just love that idea that you can climb and get to the top of the world, and God's like, oh, that's cute. You made it up to the top of a stepladder, right? It doesn't actually mean anything. You haven't actually climbed anywhere in comparison to the greatness of God. Here's our last one. Temptation is real. Temptation is real. A lot of these examples coming from this passage, because God was trying to draw his people back to him, so a lot of these, those first examples that I gave are, are ones where it's like, if, if you feel far from God or if you've lost your way, this is God calling you back. But this last one here um, is for people that even, the, you're, right in, you're right in it right now. You're, you and God are tight. Things are going well. You would say you're in a good spiritual season. But this is always something that we need to guard against. Because temptation is very real. What's temptation? It's when we were drawn to the trap that something else will satisfy us. Something else will comfort us. Something else will take care of us. That we need something else more than God. Right? That's basically what's described in our passage. Like our, our life is what we see here. That they that they followed God, that they loved God, and then things took them away. Things that were not as good. Right? We follow God, and things are great, and then all of a sudden, it, something else pulls us away that's not as good as God. Right? It's temptation. And we're going, and we're sitting here, and we're like, man, I want to be with God. I want to follow God. And sometimes things that we know just shouldn't pull us away from God, they still do. We can identify with the Apostle Paul. He's like, I, I do stuff that I don't even want to do. God, I want to follow you. Why is this so hard? Right? The pull is real. The pull is difficult. We need to guard against that temptation. So we'll close with this. How do these ideas coalesce? Coalesce means, if you picture like a river, like little streams coming into a river, how do they all meet? How do they all come, come together? Colossians 3.2 says this. It says, fix your eyes on things above. Fix your eyes on things above. There's tons of verses in the New Testament giving this idea of pointing your eyes to eternity, keeping your eyes up. When that verse says, fix your eyes on things above, it's not our eternity that we're talking about. It's not saying that there's merely more to life than the life that we have in our earthly bodies. No, it's telling us to fix our eyes on God. Fix your eyes on God. 
right? We know that from Hebrews. Fix your eyes on God, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what we're supposed to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus. So there's just one reason why you should walk away from whatever temptation you're feeling right now. There's one reason. It's that God is better. There's just one reason that you should stop only giving yourself to God on Sunday and come back to him. Come back to him with the love that you had for him as a youth when you first, when God first saved you. It's that God is better. There's one reason that you should forgive the person that you're struggling to forgive. It's that God is better. There's just one reason that if you're exhausted and tired and worn out, you should run to God instead of Netflix or a book or coffee. It's that God is better. God is better because of who he is. We learn about him in our passage, but then we experience him by following him. God is broken over your sin, but he's also just. He also loves you with a love that you're never going to fully comprehend. And so he's patient in calling you back to him if you've fallen off. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't want to see you again. He's asking you to come to him for the first time. He wants you to do this because being with him is life. It's the best thing for you. And if you don't believe me, try it. Stop playing around and follow God with everything that you've got for one year. Get to know him like you've never got to know him before. Read his word. Talk to him constantly. Live how he asks you to live. Go to war against sin. Serve others selflessly. And then come back and tell me that that isn't better than the Netflix shows that you've been binging lately. It's life. It's so much better than the other stuff that we've got around here. Is entertainment bad? No. But not when it comes above God. And finally, God is better because of the gospel. Right? The good news that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be with God both now and in eternity. That Jesus died for you and he died for me. So we're going to transition into communion. So you can grab your communion cup. You can rip off this top layer. I'm going to pray for the bread. And then I'm going to pray for the cup. I want you to take this moment to reflect. Reflect on some of these things God has said today. Something about who he is maybe that struck you or what he's calling you back to. Maybe you needed to hear from him today saying, come back to me. You've gone off. You've kind of said like, yeah, I'm following God, but I don't really do anything that he actually says. He actually calls me to do. I just call myself a Christian. He's saying, come back. Use this time to remember that. Right? Maybe is he saying to you, what he said to the Israelites 
what fault have you found in me that you strayed so far from me? Is God asking you that today? Or maybe there's something right now in your life that you're facing, some sort of temptation, some sort of sin. You needed to be reminded that God is better. We learn about him through his word, his demonstration of who he is over history. We remember what he did for each of us on the cross. Maybe you need to remember that today. Repent and get right with God. Or maybe today what you need to do is just be thankful. Set your heart once again to be thankful for who God is and for what he did for you. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But don't waste this opportunity to get right with God. Let's pray for the bread. Lord, we thank you for your body, which was broken for us. And you commanded us to do this then in remembrance of you. And so, Lord, we stand here today and we think about your body, Savior of the world, who's broken, God, for me, for all the times that I messed up, for all the times that I've sinned, for all the times that I've broke your heart. Yet you love me. Lord, thank you. In your name. Amen. Let's take together. Jesus, I also want to thank you for your blood. Blood which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. Blood is a symbol of life, of the life that you have given us. Lord, we were once dead in our sins, but we were made alive. We were made able to drink of the living water because of your blood that was spilled, not because of anything you did, but because of what I did. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your blood. Lord, you are so good. God, I just pray that I would live for you remembrance of how good you are. Lord, I love you. I love you so much. Amen. Let's take it together. And finally, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we go. I pray that you would, that you would give us a glimpse into your heart today that we would be reminded of something, that we would have learned something new about who you are, and that we would use that not just as head knowledge, but as motivation to go and live as how you've called us to live. Whether that's being called back to you or fighting to stay with you, not give in to the road that the Israelites went down, where they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They gave in to the temptation of our world that says, this is better than God. No, God is better. God, you are better. I've lived both of that. I've lived knowing you are better. I've also lived 
walking away from you and realizing this isn't better. God, bring that to my memory over and over again. Bring yourself to my memory over and over again that my eyes will be fixed on above, that they would be fixed on eternity. Lord, that I would follow you with everything that I am. Lord, you are better. And I love your heart and I love getting to know you more. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.